Father, as we open Your Word, we ask You would, through Your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds that we might glean from what is shared today those things that You would use to cause us to draw closer and stronger in our walk with You. We worship You, O Lord. You alone are worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We are in the beginning of a, of a series. This will be our second message in this series in the healing authority of Jesus Christ. You know, we went through the teaching. You know, Jesus says this. And, and, and what he said through the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew puts things together in such a way that, we, uh, that he draws out now uh, nine or ten miracles in the next two chapters that show his authority uh, over disease and sickness. And, and so uh, this is what we're looking at in Matthew chapter 8, uh, starting with the fifth verse. When he, Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, and soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go. And he goes, and to another come, and he and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. What a powerful, powerful story. This is also recounted in the Gospel of Luke uh, in, in the seventh chapter. And I want to read it to you as well this morning. And the reason for that is so that you will see that for some, there's an inconsistency. But I hopefully by the time we're done this morning, you'll see that, that like everything, if there's an inconsistency, it's because we don't get it <laughs> in God's Word. It's not because God's Word has made a mistake or, or the different disciples looked at things differently or read different documents and came to different conclusions. And so, just follow with me, and, and we'll, we will not only clear this up, but add some dimension to this story by including Luke's account. By the way, I, I, I always say this, but you know, if, if you have to go online and, and you find a book called The, the Life of Christ in Stereo, you're, what you'll be looking at is a uh, Gospels, the four Gospels, a man's lifetime, really, quite candidly, of putting the Gospels together in harmony. And while I have to be careful, this is not 
is there there are points where he's made decisions based on 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 certain issues and and to the best of his ability but it is an amazing book and his premise that he was coming at was this is the inspired word of god and it has to fit together there can't be some part causing a uh discrepancy with some other part and 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 he worked his way through that so many times today i hear even in 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 what we would typically call fundamentalist or evangelical circles, people saying, well, you know, Jesus, uh, Matthew was looking at this and, and, and Luke was looking at this particular manuscript and they, they reinterpreted certain words or they did this or they did that. And I am, I am confident. And I was so fortunate to go to a, a, a Bible college that, that taught this, this that again, if there's a if there's a discrepancy that, that something that comes up that is in contradiction apparently in God's word, it's not because there's a contradiction, but because we don't fully understand how it comes together in some way. But this in Luke chapter seven is a separate account, and you got to remember also Matthew was writing to a very particular audience. The Holy Spirit was was directing Matthew to write to the Jewish people, and he was pointing out things that the Jewish people would be important to him. For instance, his emphasis on the kingdom of heaven. And and also the reality that, hey, just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're going to heaven and, and, and inclusion of the Gentile, this type of thing. So, so uh, Luke was writing to the Gentile nation and a different audience and a different situation and pointing out different types of things. Uh, Matthew was focusing on the centurion, for instance, as being a Gentile with a great faith and also uh, drawing in the reality of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of heaven. Luke, his focus was on the character and the humility using the witnesses that were a part of this as a testimony to this centurion's humility and, 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 and his relationship in his faith as well. So so I want to add Luke's account to this. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Jesus, entered Capernaum. Sounds familiar so far. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when, they'd come, and when he, they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him, Jesus, earnestly saying, he, referring to the centurion, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation. And he is the one who built, our, uh, built us our synagogue. And I have to stop there for a moment and, and say, do you, you, you need to catch and the reason why it's so important to include this so you can have the whole picture is the reality that this is not anywhere near normal. A centurion soldier uh, would, would not... Now, I mean, he, they just weren't particularly fond of being in Palestine in the first place, and they didn't care for Jewish people as a whole... And they really didn't care for the Jewish scribes, Pharisees, and priests, and, and, and the, the, the elders of the community, because there was always the potential of conflict and, and problems and stuff. And so when you hear 
of, of a centurion, and we'll get into a little more detail with this in a minute, but, but turning around and them saying, he is worthy of this. This is the Jewish leaders of the synagogue saying, the centurion is worthy of what he asks for. That is an amazing thing. Because you see, not only did the centurions typically and the Roman legions, the legionnaires, not care for the Jews, the Jews didn't particularly care for the Romans either. They were occupied. They, 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 they were occupying their land. And, and, and it was one of those things. You know, Jesus says if you're asked to carry your, uh, somebody's load a, a mile, carry it too. Well, you see, that was because a Roman soldier could ask anybody uh, along the way as he's carrying his, his, his load, maybe uh, going to a, a new uh, uh, station or, or, or assignment or something to, he, but he, he could turn around and say, carry my load, and you would have to carry it a mile. Jesus says, no, carry it two. Okay? So these guys had, you know, authority, uh, basically in the sense of, of pretty, pretty much a, a spontaneous kind of a control factor. If them, something was out of control, they, they were there quickly to put it back into control according to Roman law, not Jewish law. The other thing that the Romans and legionnaires did in, in, in a centurion was, was, was couldn't get away from this. A centurion's uh, shield or battle dress covered several emblems, and the emblems were, were insignias normally of his his valor, his duty, the campaigns that he has been in, but almost all of them had some symbolism to Caesar. And their shields had the you know the the symbol of Caesar in some way or another. And these were an affront to the Hebrew people because those were you know Caesar called himself a god basically, and these were false gods and stuff. And so there there was conflict all the time. I just want you to understand this is so unusual. He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, another thing you need to understand about centurions is that they were paid very well. The average centurion made two to three hundred denarii, which would be a, you know, a denarii was a day's wages, depending on the economy. So basically, you know, a, a denarii a day kind of thing. A centurion entering into his position would get 5,000 denarii a year. He could easily be making 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50,000 denarii a year, depending on how long, how many battles, how many insignias, all the things that went with it, and kind of changing his rank. Okay? And so they were, they were, had the resources. You know, he, he may have been saving for a while and just turned around and said, you know, and he built their synagogue for them. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let me, my servant be healed. Now, right there, we're in conflict with Matthew. Matthew says that Jesus is talking to the centurion. So far, the centurion has been talking through his emissaries. And he says, I didn't think I should even come to you. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority 
with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, again the same phrase, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And then those who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. Okay, I, I have to confess, I, you know, you, you, you look at these different things, and there's I don't know how many different combinations of ways that people have tried to put this together, but I, uh, I, I look, I'm one of these people that look for the simplest answer uh, that seems to, to work. And, and, and I was fortunate in finding an, uh, an, uh, not only using the life of Christ in stereo, but a, a general harmony. Let me give it to you and then, I, and then, I, and then read something to you. Uh, you know, Luke shows Jesus entering into Capernaum. The Jewish leaders and the friends are speaking on the centurion's behalf. Then Matthew 8 comes into the picture, and it seems to pick up where, with the centurion deciding, even though he has sent his emissaries, to also approach Jesus on behalf of his servant. In both Gospels, Jesus' response is he marveled at the centurion's faith. In Matthew, one of the main focuses in the key is in the kingdom of heaven. There are two verses in Matthew that I read to you that Luke doesn't talk about, reference to the table of the kingdom of heaven and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll get to that in a few minutes. And then Matthew speaks the words of healing to the centurion and Luke records the fact that the friends that had gone with him, the emissaries on his behalf had, that had gone for him, also went back to his house, and they saw. Again, so there's witnesses. Not only the, the, the centurion's word, but the witnesses become uh, part of this picture too. And, and so I wanted to take a closer look again at the people involved. I've already talked a little about the centurion, uh, and, and it was interesting. I, I was. Uh, uh, reading out of an, uh, an older commentary, it said, the, the, who is this man who caused Jesus to be marveling at his faith? Because Jesus didn't do this with anybody else like this. The only other time this word marveled in this context is, 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 is used is, is where John the Baptist talks about Jesus. You know, it, uh, yeah, it's a, and so your first thought would be, and he went through a list. I can't remember what it was, but I made my own list. Was it a rabbi? No. Was it, was it a scribe or a Pharisee or, or a member of the Sanhedrin? Oh, it would have to be a high priest. I mean, who, who else would you? I mean, all the people marveled at the faith of these people all the time. And the answer is no. It was a Roman soldier, centurion. An important thing about being a centurion is, is also the reality of who he most likely is. As a Roman officer, as a centurion, he's also, again, don't forget, the occupier and oppressor of the Hebrew people in a general sort of way. He has to enforce the, the, the law of, of Caesar. He was part of a legion. Legion would have six to 10,000 people. He was part of a cohort, which would have 500-plus people, and he was part of a, a century, which was six to 100, 60 to 100 men. 
centurion was over the century, or a hundred men initially. And so it was that smaller group of men that he would be in charge of. Like I said, he was well, well paid. He was raised, most of them, a Roman. Very, the, the majority of them got to their position through battlefield experience, up to the rank. I think, in a sense, uh, this would be more like a, a if those of you that have the military experience would say a non-com reaching the top of his life line, like a master sergeant, even though we say he's a captain of 100 men uh, as a centurion. Uh, the idea is that he's come up through the ranks. He didn't go to military school and come out. Uh, the tribunes and other guys, they, 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 and a lot of leaders that go up from there were appointees, you know, and a lot, some of them political appointees and, and, and other things. These guys were hardened soldiers by and large. And so they got up through their ranks by being fierce, if you will. And, and, and just, uh, and, and, and they were also, as Romans, they were raised in a pagan society. Uh, the majority of, of the, the legionnaires, uh, a lot of, most of them were, went into the, 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 ar- the army somewhere between the ages of, of 17 and 19 when they started, uh, and as early as 14 years old. So you get this picture of, of, of someone who's, this has been his lifestyle. Now, I think of my stepdad. He went into the Marines at 17. Actually, he was 16. His papers say 17 because he talked his dad into lying about his age and signing for him. Because he still, even at 17, couldn't sign for himself to go into the uh, Army or the Marines right after Pearl Harbor. So at 16, my stepdad went into the Marines. He came out after the Korean War, a few years after the Korean War, a master sergeant. Those of you raised in military homes know what I'm talking about. A, a master sergeant is an interesting person. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he has, a, he has a, an interesting set of an, uh, expectations that go with that. And uh, I told you he was my stepdad. I, I, he inherited me at seven. And, and I already was kind of set in my ways, and there was a lot of conflict to break that. Uh, and there was a lot of need for breaking. Uh, but anyway, I'm just saying, he, that, he, that was his life. That's what he knew. He'd been in it for life. He met my mom just shortly after he had been out, and he had been in over 15 years, and he simply had an early retirement offered to him and, and, and took it with a bonus, you know, in the, in the, in the mid-50s. And he met my mom. So he went basically from military to, 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 to a wife and, and, and two kids. Uh, and, and so I, I just share that with you because I, I, I can see this centurion. I have a picture of him. He, he, he's, and he was a, uh, you know, a man that, uh, that, that his, those that were under him, it was sir, yes, sir. You know, and, and no ands, ifs, or buts about it. And when he got an order from someone higher than him, it was it would be followed even if he didn't agree with it. It would be carried out to the letter. And there were times my dad said that there were some orders that were given to him uh, that he felt were inappropriate and improper, but he, to the best of his ability, protected his men but led them still into those situations that, that he had to because of the orders that he was given. 
This is what this, this centurion is basically saying. I have somebody over me. Who's, who's basically over the centurion? The emperor. The emperor gives an order, and it comes down the line. He knows that this, it, when it gets through to the centurion, it's going to be acted on. So the centurion says, I know what it is to have the authority over me, giving me you know, the assignment, and I know what it is to say to someone to do it because they know I speak with the voice of Caesar. And they must do it. So he's trying to say, I understand the chain of command, Jesus. And that's an amazing thing that he's saying there by itself because what he's saying is with the words that we come up together with this idea of his faith and his, his understanding of the Hebrew people and stuff is that he's, he, he seems to be implying, I understand that, that, that you have said that I do nothing outside of what God has told me to do. And whatever you assign to be done will be done because God has said it. That's an amazing faith. That's, Jesus has marveled at this faith because this is not, he hasn't seen this in anybody in Israel, let alone a, a Roman soldier, a centurion at that. Raised, again, I understand this too, he was raised in a pagan society. People say, how did he come to this place? I, I can only think of one answer. God opened his eyes. Because he basically became what is, is, is also referred to as, as would be at, at that time as a God-fearer. He wasn't a proselyte, but somebody who recognized that there is a God, the Hebrews' God is the one, and he is God. He was unique. I mean, look what the, 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 the Jewish leaders say about it. He has love for the nations, referring to the, the, the Hebrew people. Instead of being belligerent to them and, and hey, carry my load a mile and, and all of these kinds of things, he was compassionate to a point of, of, of accepting them even though it might have created a problem a time or two for him. He loved them. And the generosity that he showed them. He built their synagogue. But also within the midst of this is his love for his servant. Now that might have not been quite as unusual because it got to a point where a centurion would have a, a, a young man that, he's, that has become his servant who, he, who meets him at his needs. When he comes home, the guy is taking care of, 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 of uh, his his military stuff, his armor, and all of this kind of stuff. He, 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 he's, it's an important uh, person. But most of the time, a servant is just someone to be what? Bought and sold and held in his place. But in this case, he says, no, I, he loved his servant, meaning that he held him in high esteem. He was really genuinely concerned for him. And then his humility. He knew that a, a, a Hebrew teacher, a Jewish, a Jewish person, period, if he came under the roof of a Gentile, would do so at the, at, at the, 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 the response, if you will, of becoming uh, ceremonially unclean. And would have to go through a process to be clean. And so he was showing his humility by saying, 
instead of ordering Jesus, saying, I'm a centurion, I'm here, you come. He said, just say the word. I know you have that authority. You don't need to come under my roof. I won't require that. There was a uh, uh, kind of a, 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 I guess I would put it as a summary of what we just, these scriptures of Matthew and and, and, uh, Luke, uh, written by a uh, author, uh, Jack uh, Schaefer, a number of years ago. Uh, in the in the master's uh, seminary journal, and I read through it, and I was taking notes and underlining and highlighting, and I realized, if you will bear with me, it's only a page, and and I would just like to read to you his summary of what Matthew and and, and Luke are together here too as well. Uh, the scene could have unfolded as follows: the centurion had a dying servant who was clear, dear to him. Having heard of Jesus' healing ministry, uh, and you understand this wasn't the first time Jesus had healed in this area. Go back to Matthew chapter 4, and he'd already been doing healing and stuff in this area. Okay, so, and having believed in him, he knew that the master could heal the boy. Yet the boy was paralyzed by illness and great agony and unable to be moved. The centurion, being a Gentile and understanding that Jesus was from God, could see himself going directly to Jesus to ask on behalf of his servant nor having Jesus, could not see himself uh, doing that, nor having Jesus come to his home. He could, however, summon some Jewish leaders of the synagogue, which he built at his own expense, to go on his behalf. They did, and Jesus began to return to the house with them. As Jesus came near, the centurion was horrified that Jesus might actually come under his roof, so he sent some friends to explain the case. As they went and, and engaged uh, Jesus, the centurion, while watching, could contain himself no longer. He overrode his stated directly the seriousness of the matter, perhaps to justify his coming against his conviction. Jesus, having heard once already that he needed to not be present to heal the boy, elicited that response directly from the lips of the man himself. Now, having heard it twice, once indirectly and once directly, He turned to those who had been following him and made the statement comparing the centurion's faith to any that he had seen thus far among the people of Israel. His people who should have recognized him, his people who should have recognized him. He made it once and then emphatically restated it. The unabashed faith of this Gentile centurion prompted Jesus to teach about the nature of those who will enter the kingdom and those who will be left out. People of faith will be included. People who depend on heritage and works will be excluded. Kind of takes you back to to the seventh chapter of Matthew where, hey, Lord, Lord, we did all these works. And he says, I don't know you. Depart from me. Finally, he he, he responded directly to the centurion. And 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 uh, that he could return home assured that what he had requested had been accomplished, just as he believed it would. Whether or not he he carried or or went home is not stated, but his messengers did return to find 
that the boy had, in fact, been healed that very hour. The, 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 the harmony that comes together around that is just this picture of, of, of this man who was doing everything he could for his servant. Some people emphasize just the reality and, and they focus on the, the, the awesomeness, of, and it is an amazing thing, that Jesus spoke the miracle from a distance. And, they, and, and they'll, their whole sermon will be focused on that. Uh, and miss, possibly, the, the, the most important thing and why Jesus emphasized. You know, there's going to be a point in time in the kingdom of, of, of heaven when the table is set and all of the, the people of God gather together. And there will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and men from the east and the west, referring to Gentiles. And he was implying this man will also be there. But some of you won't be. And the, the, the reality of, of, of what Jesus is saying is, is do you realize he was, he was breaching everything in the sense of ethics and, 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 and tradition here and acknowledging this man's faith and, 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 and responding to his need. And it's just, a, just an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, the, again, the Jews, they're saying he is worthy. What's the, 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 the Roman centurion saying? I'm not worthy. You see, even, even there, he, he, he could have been at the point where he turned around and said, well, you know, gosh, I, I built them their synagogue. I did this, I did that. Uh, you know, I'm a good guy and, and, and I deserve this. But he is, he's taking that position. I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy to come and even ask you of this. But I bring to you my servant. And by the way, he's in terrible, torment type of pain. I looked up a couple of the words, and like I said, I'm not a Greek scholar, but when I, I read the, the, the thing was that, that this idea of, of how intense his pain was, was that it was the, the word was used to describe a point of, 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 of extreme intensity on a, like a chart. And it made me think how many times that I've, I've been in the hospital and, and the nurse comes in and says, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you know, for me, my first question is always, well, on whose scale? <laughs> you know, but but uh, the idea was, this is intense pain, enough so that he's immobilized. He can't be moved. I don't, we don't want to move him. It'll hurt him too much. Is, is implied with this. So just say the words, Jesus, and I know that it will work. Because I know how the chain of command works. I know how authority works. You say it, I'm confident it will be done. Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. Word, like I said, marvel is, is to stand back. And one person said it kind of like surprise, you know. I, I don't know that, that, that that's a, 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 quite a fair picture, but the idea of marveling is just to, to sit back and mean that he took the time to think about this man's faith and how amazing it was. And he did so with the understanding of thinking, I have not seen anything else like it. All of the people that are depending on getting in on works, it's not going to happen. <laughs> this kind of faith. 
And it's not because he built the synagogue. He's not getting this consideration because he built the synagogue. He's not getting this consideration because he loves the nation. He's getting this consideration because he has an amazing faith in Jesus. So far as we've looked at, at Jesus' authority, you know, we, we've seen there the people being amazed at Jesus as he speaks with authority. We're seeing here now Jesus you know, using his authority in these in these senses of miracles, uh, with the outcast of, of uh, a leper, and, and here with his centurion, a Gentile, a Roman soldier. You see, there's a, there's a there's a trend going. Jesus is reaching across the lines of of the cultural taboos here. I, I think of the message last week. You realize, Jesus. Touch the leper, and the leper walks away clean. Jesus didn't get unclean. <laughs> and just, you know that—that's not what what everything's supposed to happen. Jesus is supposed to touch the leper and now be in trouble, and unclean. Instead, the leper's instantly healed. You don't you don't have interaction with a Roman soldier unless you're compelled to. No orders were given here. A request of a man declaring his unworthiness was what happened. And there's more to come of Jesus reaching over the boundary lines of cultural taboos, if you will, and traditions. We'll be looking at more of those things over the next couple of weeks. I want to drop down for a moment to uh, verse 17 of of, uh, Matthew. Chapter 8. And I'm, I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but I just want to draw your attention to the, the, the last sentence. Uh, he, Jesus, took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Um, that's from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 in that particular case. But that is a chapter that... All, you know, the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees would all know. It, and, and, and we we ascribe to it today the suffering servant. You'll find that title infrequently in, in your Bibles even over that chapter the, 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 about the suffering It's all about Jesus and his suffering. And Why did Jesus do this? And I, and I think about here's this Roman who's got his faith in him, okay? And 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 the reason why it's why all of what happened right there worked the way it did was because of what Jesus had already planned to do. A plan made before the foundation of the world that was going to be completed because it was God ordained, if you will. I mean, it was it's already set in stone. This is going to happen so that men may be saved. And and so Isaiah 53, this reference to this one who's going to, to pour out his blood, this one who's going to die, this one who's going to be like a silent in his during these accusations, this one who will be consigned to a criminal's grave but buried in a rich man's tomb, all of these things that Isaiah 53 says will happen with reference to Jesus is ahead of this. But because it's who he is, it's already as if it's done in the sense that 
Jesus is authority to, to deal with this. And Jesus will go on even as, later on where we'll see him actually forgive somebody his sin. But we need to look and say, why is this? Why was this necessary? Why is this required of us? What uh, we're required of Jesus, and 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 what is it that that this man, even though all that he had done, would say he's unworthy, and all the things that the Jewish people would do, Jesus would still count them, in and of their works itself, unworthy. Well, it's because all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah states that. Paul restates that in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have gone like sheep and have gone astray. What is the cost of sin? Real simple. Wages of sin is death. What did the Roman soldier deserve? Death. He was right. He wasn't worthy. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. Romans 5.8 it says, But God shows His love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Isaiah 55, 53, chapter 53 talks about, and in his death, he conquers all of the things that death, sin has brought about. What are some of the things that sin has brought about? Illness, disease, not just our attitudes and stuff like that. But all of the illnesses, all of the diseases, all the things, cancers, all of these things are the result of sin in a fallen world. And Jesus is showing his authority here over all of it. By his word. He doesn't even have to touch it. All he has to do is say it. I believe that, that, that Jesus is acknowledging that this man is, is acknowledging who Jesus is. Today, we are instructed by Paul as to a way to do that. In Romans chapter 10, verses uh, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We have that on the back of our bulletins, uh, and 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 it's just it's it's not a formula. It's not something do A plus B get C type of thing. It's a change of heart. It's a change of the way of thinking. And I just I look at the centurion and I'm amazed because unlike all the other centurions, he and I'm not saying that there weren't any others, but in a general context, he didn't hate the nation of Israel. He loved them. Why? Because they have the one true God. He looked at Jesus and saw that Jesus was under the authority of the one true God and whatever Jesus said, therefore, would happen, period. 
And even to the point where he could have claimed, you know, we're the conquerors of your land, give me whatever I want type of thing to, you know, to saying I'm not worthy. Do you see the Beatitudes here? We went over the Beatitudes first. I am, you know, one who comes to that point where 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 I I I, I realize that, that that I need to be poor in spirit, mourn over my sin, and recognize that Jesus alone has the answer, and come to Him with the confession, I'm not worthy, but Lord, I bring to you myself and ask for life. Just a, a an awesome picture here that's building, and uh, you know it's exciting to be able to share together with it. Every time we share communion together, we are acknowledging this reality: Jesus is the only way of salvation. There is no other name under heaven that man can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And the reason why is because He went to the cross. Perfect man couldn't be touched by leprosy. Leprosy ran from Him. (laughs) I'm just, you know, demons couldn't hurt Him. They ran from Him. They were afraid of Him. Jesus, don't send us into the, into the pit, you know. they, you know, because he had the authority, and he emptied himself and went to the cross and served us and died for us. That all of us that will confess in our hearts and believe, uh, confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Christ, the Lord, the Son of God, shall be saved. He poured out his blood to accomplish that. He emptied himself and dwelt among us in the flesh to accomplish that. The blood, the the bread is the flesh. The cup is his blood. And that is the picture we have. Could the uh, uh, ushers come forward for half the communion out until we've all been served? Uh, and, and we'll share it together and, and the worship team, please.
will say just how much you love me. So I want to say forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. Forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. The nails in your hands, the nails in your feet, they tell me how much you love me. The thorns on your brow, they tell me how. You bore so much shame to love me. When the heavens pass away, all your scars will still remain. And forever they will say just how much you love me. So I want to say forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. Forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. It's yours. Christ and, and believe in Him, that becomes the, the statement, forever. <laughs> it's a forever relationship. It's an awesome thing to, and you can't, I don't think, can say it often enough that you can go to, well, the book of Romans and, and Paul says, and there's nothing created that's going to separate you from this. Yeah, it's, 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 it's there, it's real, and it's, and it's God's gift to us. It's, it's, we're not we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace, and that a gift from God. I mean, it's just the whole picture is God started it, and He finished. And as a result, we rest. And at the at the supper that He shared with His disciples on the night He was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it after He had given thanks for it, and He gave it to the disciples, and 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 He said, "This is My body broken for you." And He asked them as often as they would eat it that they would do this in remembrance of Him. When the meal had been completed and they were sharing this last glass of wine, Jesus says, this, this is My blood that is poured out for you. Purchase the covenant. He's referring to this covenant of grace which He would as the end of, of his blood being poured out, would say, it is finished. And he gave up his life. Meaning that all the debt is settled in his sacrifice. And he asked that as often as we would share this cup together, that we would do it in remembrance of him until he what? Father, once again, we thank You. 
Once again, we acknowledge that You alone are worthy of our praise. Once again, we acknowledge that it's <coughs> our salvation happens through You and no other way. We ask, Lord, that You would go with us. Be with us. Cause us to rest in You. <coughs> Excuse me. Cause us to rest in You. Lord, give us Your eyes, Your ears to see the world around us. The way You hear it, the way You see it. In Jesus' name.